0: There's a show on television called The Fear Factor. Anybody ever, ever seen that? Few few of you know what that is. A few of you watch it. Let me just put up a little cartoon. It's a challenge game, and the next ultimate team Fear Factor challenge is the fiery furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are up next. <laughs> Fear. Fear is a, is a word that I don't think we understand the depth and the breadth of that that word. It's a word, as we've been looking, when we think of that word hope, fear is a word that pushes against hope. And when fear comes in quickly, hope disappears. Uh, fear almost causes us or pushes us to remember even the things that we've learned when we grow up. If if you've grown up in a Sunday school, you you know some of the truths of scripture and fear comes in and it seems to just push that stuff away that we've learned. You think of even the physical reactions of fear. I I don't know about you, but have you ever gotten that fear in the pit of your stomach and you you just kind of and the adrenaline gets released. I remember driving up the Pikes Peak where a friend was egging me on to go closer to the edge and I got up there and just sit down and go, I don't want to drive back down. There was, there was fear within me. But it's, it's such a word that impacts us profoundly. A- and we want to look at a character this morning where fear and how it intersects with that word hope. Now, I, I need to go down just a short alley here first. And one of the challenges when it comes to Bible studies around characters, they actually are a more difficult type of study. I don't know if you realize that. Because one of the things that happens when you study characters, it oftentimes the character gets elevated and God becomes a distant second. That's one of the challenges in that. And I think there's another piece to this as well. Because when we look at Bible characters, one of the things that we like to do is look for those characters that have a lot of flaws. And we look at them and we go, I can relate to that person. And we see the sin in their life and the mess ups that's been going on in their world as we read the scriptures. And we kind of look at those people and go, boy, they're authentic, they're real. I can relate to them. And in some ways, I think subconsciously, we like Bible characters that goof up because it makes us feel better. But the reverse is also true. When you begin to look at Bible characters who don't mess up, I think we look at them and go, I don't know if I can relate to them. They haven't committed some of the sins that I might have committed And we kind of look at them and go, oh, I can't learn from them. But I would point out to you that if we say that we can only learn from people who messed up like us and not learn from those who haven't, I think that's a subtle form of pride that can creep in. (laughs) And why do I say that? It's because today we look at a character who didn't mess up. Matter of fact, he finished his life well. And that name is Caleb. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 13. And while you're turning there, Caleb was a man who, I understand, he was in Egypt at the time when all of the things were going on, when Moses was pulling them out. And so he was about 38 years old. They figure when he crossed that Red Sea, he began a journey with the other Israelites into the desert, and about two years later, he ends up with the Israelites camped at the edge of the southern part of the Promised Land. And so there's this huge group, you know, some estimate this group of people, somewhere between three and five million, six million people. So there's a lot of people, understand, with, with kids and, and possessions and everything else. But this trip across the desert, they were going to the promised land and God had given him the, a land that, that had been communicated to Moses and they knew that they were going to the promised land in this journey. But they get up to that land and all of a sudden they begin to wonder, And they begin to doubt, okay, who is there? Who's in there? They had heard rumors about people that occupied this land that they were supposed to have. And and instead of just walking into the land, they decide to pick out 12 men, one from each tribe, and go into that promised land and to explore it. And they discover where the good croplands are, where the cities are at, who's in what city and where, and the people and where they're scattered throughout the land. And this twelve then come back, and I don't know, it doesn't say who the leader of this twelve is, all of a sudden this twelve gives a report of that trip and that spy journey. Numbers 13 is where we want to pick it up this morning, At verse 25. Look how it goes. At the end of 40 days, they were there for 40 days, they returned from spying out the land, and they came to Moses and Aaron, and to all the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. They brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. They had brought stuff back with them. Okay, And they told him, We've come to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. But now you notice this little word, however, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there and the Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the hill hill country and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. Did you see that? However, Almost all the spies came back with this report, and the re- report was laced with fear. Matter of fact, in Joshua 14, you don't have the turn that I'll put on the screen. As Caleb is very old, he gives the report, thinking back to this period. And look at look at how it goes. Verse seven. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to spy out the land. And I brought word back to him as it was in my heart. Nevertheless, my brethren, this is those 10 other spies, who went up with me, made the heart of the people melt with fear. But I followed the Lord, my God, fully. Caleb and Joshua... The two that said, we can do it, and ten of them, began to talk to the people, and fear begins to spread in this group of people. There was an infection of fear. Now now here's where I think we need to pause and, and kind of jump to 2013, because I think, here's the truth, way too many people who know Jesus are filled with fear. And some people even think that fear is, I've seen this over the years, is normal, and it's okay to live life that way. So I believe that in every, any church any group of people who call themselves followers of Christ, there are those people that are dominated by fear and worry. Now, we pause, and i got to say this, I think there's moments where all of us can succumb to fear. It can creep into our lives and impact us profoundly in, in many ways. But over the years, I've also seen this, that when you think of a collected group like Israel, They're caught in this disease, but when you translate it again to 2013, a group of people called the church can be infected by people preaching and teaching and talking about fear. People like the Israelites, I think we can do that today as well. So I think there's a bunch of lessons for us. One that I didn't put on on the on your notes, but I have to say it this way. Sometimes the majority is flat out wrong. Ten said no. Two said go. Those ten were wrong. And we'll see that even more. See, but look at the response of this first bad report. Numbers 13 again. Look at verse 30. But Caleb got up, and he quieted the people before Moses. Obviously, there was something, you know, there was turmoil going on. Fear was going on. And he said this, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. You catch the confidence there. Then the man who got up with him said, no, we're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, The land through which we have gone to spy out, it's a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from Nephilim, and we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, so we seemed to them. So I envision this going on. They first give up, get the report. Caleb goes, no, wait a minute, guys. We can go. We can do it. And they shout him down. And they're talking to the people and saying, no, listen, guys. If we're going to go into this land, we will get crushed like grasshoppers. Can you picture this confrontation going on? And you ask the question, why? What happened here? But here's where I think we learn some lessons about this issue of where we get hope and some of the situations around it. If you're taking notes on the outline, I said it this way, number one, the first application that we're going to see here, allowing fear to rule rather than hope can lead to a loss of blessings. Blessings. And I think this is applied to us today. It can, pl- it can be applied individually and it can be applied as a group of people. Now, if you don't know the story, there were when I say there was loss of blessings, the reverse for this story is there was consequences. Look at Numbers chapter 14. Let me put this on the screen. And here's the consequences, but truly as I live, and as all the years shall be filled with the glory of the Lord, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness, and yet have put me to the test those ten times, and have not obeyed my voice, shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. And none of these who despise me shall see it. But my servant Caleb, because he is a spirit, a different spirit, and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went, and his descendants shall possess it. Now, what's going on here? The people have grumbled against Moses. And they take on this mentality that says, we're going to blame the leader, we're going to vote Moses out of office. And they want to get rid of Moses and the leadership. And what do they want to do? They want to find a leader. And you know where they want to go? Back to Egypt. They want to walk back to Egypt. They wanted somebody to take them back to the good old days. And God said, as they responded that way, God said, enough of this. And the people were sent out into the desert to die except those that were under 20. And that next younger generation would be the generation that would walk into the promised land and inherit that land. But here's where we need to stop and ask some questions. You go, what went wrong with Israel, this group of people? And what went right with Caleb? Why could he see it? What was it that he goes, we can do it? Now, a reminder here for your notes that fits here. Fear will always crowd out hope. You realize it's really the opposite. Fear You, don't, you won't have hope if you're filled with fear. If you, fe- if you have great hope, you're not going to have much Fear. See, in the picture here, folks, what's happening, there's not a happy ending coming here. You know, we look at the Bible stories and some of the characters, even like Samson, where we looked at a couple of weeks ago, there was an ending that you go, yeah, that was okay. But on this particular one with this group of people, there was no happy ending. And it's a warning in one sense for us. See, I believe even that as individuals and as a collective group of people and churches, we can actually miss out on the blessings that God wants to give us. And fear can keep those blessings away. And in this story, there is no happy ending for these people. Unless you were to say this, I understand God wanted to send disease and pestilence immediately and wipe this nation out. And Moses interceded, and he said, Oh, please God, don't. And God steps back. And he then allows them to go into the desert, if we would say it that way. But let me put up on a screen this passage when we ask the question, what went wrong? And this passage shows us of why Israel, those people, missed out on the blessings. Look at Numbers 14. And the Lord said to Moses, How long will these people despise me, and how long will they not believe in me, in spite of all the signs that I have, not, have done among them? Verse 22, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice. I think here's one of the applications and learning points from this passage. Number two for your notes. When fear overtakes hope. That first one there. Fear crowds out the promises of God. This book is filled with promises that he's telling us that he wants to give us. And we stop and we avoid those. A second one, though. Fear drives away remembering the works of God. See, God was saying, I gave them sign after sign. And they don't remember. Remember. I gave them manna. I gave them water. I, I rolled back the water at the Red Sea. I brought them out of Egypt. And, and you realize this has only been really two years. That's not a long time to forget. If it had been 30, 40, ago, yeah, you go, yeah, a generation would have died off. But this is only about a two years back that they had God had brought them out of Egypt. And the result of that is that Israel had no hope. Hope and faith were driven away and they failed. They just couldn't remember what God had done. And they took back control. And look at that third one. Fear leads to trusting ourselves rather than God. There's the control issue. And they said, okay, God... We don't trust you. We're now we're now in charge. Well, they weren't, but they, they tried. But now apply this to us. It jumped to the 21st century. I, I think this churches who fear the future always seem to shrink back to the good old days. And the default to that is. I think, is a couple of words. One is complacency for churches, and the other one that is maybe more difficult to say, irrelevancy. And they lose spiritual power if we shrink back, as groups and churches shrink back. They miss out, and churches can miss out on the blessings of God when fear begins to dominate I had uh, lunch with a friend on Monday in, in Brainerd and he goes to a Baptist church down there and they're in the process of finding a new pastor. It's a pretty small church but uh, Sunday night, last Sunday night was the question and answer time for, for them, for their church. And this man that came and, and they were asking him about vision and where, where do you think the church should be going and where he wants to go with the church. And interesting thing, he brought up a reference to the music and wanting to maybe upgrade the music a little bit. I don't know what term, there's something, some term like that he said he used. And all of a sudden, fear came into that group of people. And they turned, they turned a corner and all of a sudden they were going, we want to make sure that you don't change anything here. And bring in that kind of music is where they went. And it dominated the conversation for the next half hour, 45 minutes. And my friend, it left him really discouraged. He said the church is shrinking. They're losing people. And it's like this group of people wants to stay and go back to the past, go back to Egypt. But folks, I think this is also true. Marriages and families can do the same thing. Because I think at times, even as families, we work so hard to avoid walking by faith. And we want to avoid situations where we don't have to trust God. See, walking by faith, walking into the promised land, in one sense, is is challenging. You have to have faith. You have to have trust. But if if we fear, all of a sudden, let's go back to where comfort is and complacency. And let's, let's do life and make it really easy. So rather than jumping and working for the kingdom of God, for Asking God to do big things in our families, in our churches. We shrink back because it's too much work. Or we fear the unknown. And we find reasons why it won't work. And we become a bit of a, a pessimist. Matter of fact, I found a quote let me put this on the you got it on the screen there. An optimist sees an opportunity in every calamity. A pessimist finds a calamity in every opportunity. Isn't that true? Isn't that true? Let me give you though another lesson here. When we look at Caleb. Number three, I, I said it to this biblical hope calls us to surrender to God. See, Israel took control and Caleb had figured out how to give up control to surrender. Matter of fact, Joshua 14.8, let me put that up on the screen again. He says, but my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt, and this is ESV that New American says, in fear, yet I wholly followed the Lord. Yet I wholly followed. It's a surrender to God that he was going to answer what he promised. And then hope replaces, pushes back, pushes away fear. And the grip of control is loosened and all of a sudden we say, okay God, you are in control. And hope comes. You catch what was going on with Caleb. He fully followed him, surrendered to him. And if you read the story, we don't have time to do it. Caleb was this calm one. The people were going, fear, fear, fear. And Caleb is standing up. They're going, no, no, God's in control. God can do it. He's going to do what he promised. And it was calmness and a sense of peace. But there's another lesson that is so critical. Number four, I said it this way: Hope comes from a confidence in a personal God, and this is what we see in Caleb. Look at Joshua fourteen eight. Back to that same verse. But my brothers who went up with me made the heart of the people melt. Yet I wholly follow the Lord. And look at these last two words: My God, my God. My God! You know, at, at, at times, you've probably heard this phrase where people say something like this. You know, the big man upstairs, you ever, you, you've heard that. You hear it on TV all the time and uh, people use that phrase. And I, I just think it's a, a very disrespectful term. But more than that, that phrase screams out people's view of God do you realize that for them God is not personal they won't say my savior my shepherd my father my Abba father they don't say he's up there and Caleb understood this and he got it his God was personal Not some distant sovereign that the rest of the Israelites understood to be. For him, it was an intimate relationship where he comes back and says, I followed him and he was my God. The prophet Isaiah was another man in the Old Testament who had that same understanding. You know this verse. Many of you know this. Isaiah 41 verse 10. Look how it reads. Do not fear for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you for I am your God. I will strengthen you, surely will I help you, surely will I uphold you with my righteous right hand. But let me show you this even push it farther with the amplified version. So you, you cap it, it captures it even more. Look how it reads Fear not. There is nothing to fear. Put yourself, put, put your name in here. For I am with you. Do not look around you and tear and be dismayed. For I am your God. I will strengthen and harden you to difficulties. Yes, I will help you. Yes, I will hold you up and retain you with my victorious right hand of righteousness and justice. That is why Caleb could resist fear. It's why he could walk into the promised land, come back even with the potential for enemies and all the people there, and he came back and he goes, God will give it to us. Why? Because Caleb had a heavenly Father who was there with him. And he had his God with him. Today, we're doing Advent candle, but we're doing a little bit different this year. And this second candle that represents this Sunday in the Advent season, this second light that will grow here in a second, here it comes up over the top, you maybe can see it. What that second candle represents Is a personal God. And the question that I got to throw out to you do you have a personal God like Caleb, where you can say, He's my God? Or is God some distant thing that just supposed to kind of help me sovereignly? He's there, He wants to be with us in a deep personal relationship. This triune God wants to love us. And the question here, even today, as we approach the Christmas season, have you ever considered that this God of the universe who made the universe wants to have a personal relationship with you? Wants to have a personal relationship if you have children with those children where they, the children would go up and say, my God. Do you walk through the week and as things come into your world, are all of us at a place where we're going, oh, my God was faithful. Do we sense that? This last week for me, I, I, I had that sense. I, I really did. My son was in a car accident on on Monday, Monday afternoon, he was driving over to Fargo. And it it totaled his car in an icy spot, and another person came up, there was a couple vehicles involved in it. And as you looked at the pictures of the car, you go, he could have been killed. And and when we heard about it, when he texted us, and we called him, I called him, and there was this sense where I go, my God protected my son. And it was real. And he came away there going, his God protected him and was faithful to him. Let me throw out the challenge for you for this week. When you walk through this week, I would ask you to slow down And come to those moments, look around. Last week we talked about looking where God is working. But this week maybe put a little twist on it. And go, God met me and he is my God. And if God meets you like that where you go, he is my God. You know what? Email me. I want to (laughs) know. I'd love to hear it. And if you don't know, and if you don't have a my God, would you... Give yourself to him. He wants to bless us. He wants to care for us. He wants to love us. He wants to to, to resonate deep within our souls as we walk through this life. And what happens when we have a my God, fear runs. <laughs> do, do we realize that? That when we come to that place where I got my God, we don't have to succumb to fear anymore. And the result? Hope, hope, hope. Even when things go bad. Because we have my God. Let's stand and pray.